Welcome to Oddly On Air, where we expand teaching and learning perspectives by connecting theory and practice through conversations with expert Westchester University faculty and members of the Office of Digital Learning and Innovation. And now to our hosts. Welcome, dear listener, to another episode of Oddly On Air. My name is Dr. Tom Pantazis, and I am an instructional designer with The Office, and uh, two of my colleagues are joining me today, so who wants to introduce themselves first? I can go. Um, <laughs> I'm Amber Grove, also an instructional designer in The Oddly Office. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Madison Steinbrenner, and I'm another instructional designer with Oddly. So, Madison, have you used an ePortfolio in your collegiate career? Yes, I um, used an ePortfolio for undergrad, for English courses, to compile writings and papers. I didn't have a particularly positive experience because I don't think there was a total plan for how it was going to help students get a job. So it wasn't something that I used or ever showed to anyone, really. <laughs> so, so no one saw it except yeah. you. Okay. So Amber, uh, have you used an e-portfolio in your collegiate experience? I did. Um, I actually didn't use one for undergrad. Um, I used one, well, this is dating myself. Let me, let me, let me go back. E-portfolios were not a thing in my undergrad. It was a paper portfolio. It was a giant binder of everything that I had ever done <laughs> in undergrad, which also I'm, you know, I'm not going to you know, bring that into, you know, a, an interview and like, here's a binder <laughs> of all of my work. But my um, um, graduate program, I did have an e-portfolio. And I would say that my experience was mixed. So for us, we had to do it for every single class. Every single class, we had to put, you know, maybe one or two pieces of our best work. We had to reflect on that work. And then at the end of the program, so you have all of these pieces. And while it was good for me to be able to see my growth in the program by reflecting on those pieces, I feel like, especially from a graduate point of view, like I'm here to hone skills to get a job. So I want to be able to take some of these pieces and be able to put them into some type of online portfolio. And as an instructional designer, you want to do that anyway because people need to be able to see that proof. And I guess I wish that in hindsight that I had more applicable pieces to put into that then digital portfolio that I would be showing to employers that were relevant. So I would say it was a mixed bag. A mixed bag. I also had a portfolio for my graduate program where I was learning to become a teacher. And... When they first told us to set it up and in the very beginning of the program, I was like, what are we doing? What is this thing? Why are we investing? But by the end, there was this really nice collection of lesson plans and activities and things that I actually drew on some when I was in teaching. And uh, funny, you you mentioned the career piece. I was able to use that uh, to kind of make a paper-based folder of examples that I handed out when I was doing some of my interviewing. So I think we have a little bit of the spectrum here. And we have a guest who I hope can shed a lot more light on portfolios and how we can make them and use them effectively with students. So joining us today is Dr. Yannickan Smucker, the director of ePortfolio here at Westchester University. Welcome, Yannickan. Thank you so much. It's great to see you all, and I appreciate the invitation. So to kick things off, we'll, we'll start with our standard question. Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Sure thing. Well, here, I'll first start who I am at Westchester. Uh, I'm a professor in the history department. That's my disciplinary home. But I've come to be a person that 
does a lot of um, pinch hitting or at other places around campus. I, in addition to directing your portfolio, I'm the faculty associate for teaching, learning, and assessment. Work very closely with uh, your office. Oddly, I also do a number of other sort of uh, <laughs> professional development like things around campus. Uh, organize a lot of workshops, facilitate opportunities for our faculty to learn more about teaching and improve their craft. I also am our current director of the Digital Humanities Program, which is just a minor here at Westchester. But that's one of the reasons I suspect I was invited to uh, apply for the ePortfolio director position, because in addition to being a having expertise in some of the theory and practices of teaching, I also have some good digital chops, a lot of which I honed through working in web design for a couple of years before I uh, moved back into academia. I didn't know you were a web designer. <laughs> well, I worked for a, a web shop that did uh, work for museums and cultural heritage organizations. It was right. it was actually a, this fantastic opportunity. I finished my doctorate in the middle of the recession of yore. There were no jobs, especially jobs in the humanities. And I, at the summer after the spring that I finished, I applied for this internship at a web shop in Philadelphia called Night Kitchen Interactive that did design for, for museums, interactive, like the inter- the kiosk things, but also built websites and educational, uh, digital, but all digital stuff. Can you describe your own experience using portfolios with students? I, here at Westchester, I served for, let's see, I think it was three years as a team leader in our first-year experience program, um, which is a, was a newly implemented part of the general education reform package of about, probably it was implemented maybe five years ago. And the FYE program uh, is where students first uh, are introduced to the concept of portfolio here at Westchester. The first year I was doing it, we were using the portfolio tool that was native to D2L, our learning management system. And I got to say, it created a website that looked like it was... Website is a generous term um, there. (laughs) Well, it would have been a website in 1998. Um, uh, Maybe. But... You're right. It wasn't really a website because it really didn't have a public facing component or it it could have potentially, but I don't think it was used as such. It's very clunky. It required loading artifacts. And I'll talk a little bit more about artifacts. It's just the the, the portfolio term for the the assignments and the, the work that a student wants to share. It was a nightmare to understand. And understandably, students were frustrated Certainly other FYE instructors were frustrated, Um, but that's what we had. When I was brought on as director of portfolio here, I began work on trying to identify a a platform, and the result was it, it kind of kind of fell into our laps because PASHI, the uh, Pennsylvania State System of Higher Education, of which Westchester University is part, right around that same time, uh, got a contract with, with Google to be a Google campus. So all of a sudden, we had access to Google Sites. It actually is a really uh, effective tool. Lots of uni- universities, other K-12 through institutions as well, use it for portfolios. And so then in subsequent years, uh, we were able to use and introduce students in the first year experience class to uh, building their portfolios in Google Sites. 
I certainly had some students who really embraced it, ran with it, took to heart the the real the the agency of creating a portfolio and using it in a creative sense where they're really putting their personal identity out there rather than just using a sort of rote template checking the boxes doing the the minimal requirement both of those things are perfectly acceptable for use in any portfolio but certainly what i would aspire for our students to do is to really make it their own and make it something that they could even use beyond their time at Westchester. I mean, and that's one of the benefits of, of Google Sites. That idea of like sense of control and ownership over the process is definitely found throughout the literature and uh, the literature related to portfolios. And I think we, we got a sense of that too here among uh, the three of us co-hosts talking about it early on about how we wanted to, to have purpose behind this and use this intentionally. So I'm glad you brought that up already. <laughs> But I think that really is the, 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 you know, it's both the challenge and the promise of, of e-portfolios is uh, convincing students is this is like, you know, this isn't just eating your vegetables. This is like cooking a grand meal and like uh, showcasing <laughs> what, what you can do. And the creativity, mm-hmm. right? Like there's so much opportunity. And I think you alluded to that too just a moment ago when you we were talking about some of the students that really taken and run with it there's this opportunity to really present yourself and create that digital identity in just the way you want to represent yourself in the work that you do. Too often we let, you know, the big tech companies, I mean, obviously Google is one of them, take ownership of our stuff. And students, you know, there's this common term use, they're digital natives. Yet they're digital natives as consumers of uh, the media found in internet culture, which largely is moving for students of college age completely towards social media rather than even using the old-fashioned thing called the World Wide Web the way we in this room probably all learn to do. So it is helping them, you know, there's this shift from being a consumer of digital media to being a producer of digital media. And I think that's part of the shift I'd love to see eventually take place with our widespread adoption of ePortfolio on campus is is that mentality of like, I get to be the creator here. Lots of the stuff I think we'll talk about is just such a big cultural shift for our particular campus, for this generation of students, all of the things. So it's not going to be an easy overnight process. And probably there will not be like universal <laughs> embrace and adoption. But I think a lot of what we have to do is not just, you know, sharing great documentation about how to use Google Sites, but it's about creating that cultural shift. And helping folks envision ways of using it that we cannot contemplate or you Mm -hmm. cannot contemplate as a director. Like there's so much possibility sitting there that can relate to specific disciplines and contexts, but we're going to need other faculty on campus to envision those things because they are the only ones that are going to be able to come up with that. Right. Totally. So we touched on this a little bit um, as, as you were talking, but I really think that it's important because I think that, Madison, you talked about this a little bit with your experience and me too, is really like the the why. Like why should we use ePortfolios? Because I feel like if that's not clear, then it, uh, from a student perspective, yeah. it, it I, you're not going to get like that great creativity. You're not going to get that because there's if, if you haven't nailed down your why, then, then you're kind of just like phoning it in. So. 100%, 100%, yeah. <laughs> 
we really have to hone that message about what is it good for. And when I've talked to my own students about it, I was I'm teaching our capstone in the history department this semester, and eventually, the capstone courses across every major at the university will all have a. That's the other end, the bookend. So if they learn about ePortfolio, they be, start their ePortfolio and first year experience. Then in their capstone course, that's when they will write sort of a reflective piece might not be written always, might take some other kind of form, where they are looking back at everything that they've put in their portfolio and doing that metacognition. I'm having them do sort of a reflective piece, even though they don't have the portfolio necessarily of all of the artifacts along the way. But I was trying to instill in them that this idea that it's that reflection piece that makes everything start to make sense, that it's not just this like, odd assortment of classes you've taken along the way, box checking, which is mm-hmm. really how they perceive it. But what can you make of it? And you can start to make meaning of your experience through that act of reflection. And um, metacognition, of course, is like the science of learning, a uh, fancy term for reflection. Um, what what was the process of learning? How do these things fit together? Um, who am I now? How did I change over time uh, from when I started as a first year student? Um, how do these? How did all of these individual assignments, courses contribute to to who I am as I look ahead to graduation? Reflection is huge, huge part. <laughs> yes, right, right. Just want to highlight yeah. that huge part right. of the theory of the value of portfolios is that that opportunity to look across the spectrum and say. Here are these things that I think represent this good work that I have that I have done. Totally, I yeah. Wanted to highlight and, um, that. Sorry, I feel like I I'm think, interrupting you no, every time. You're not <laughs> interrupting me at all. I, I uh, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like the the angels are dancing above us. <laughs> the, 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 the time. Um, do you, as instructional designers, have ideas for how we can convince our students that reflection is? Good for them, not in just a like another box checking sort of way, but that it yields these important results. I think it's important for students to be able to reflect on it, especially in a portfolio for like how it connects to them, because we talked about that sense of agency and like not just creating like a basic boom, 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 I filled everything in, that's it. But like seeing how, you know, what went into that for them. Um, and how it just relates to them personally, maybe what they were going through while they worked on it, and how they could make that of value in the future. Reflection was a huge part of my graduate portfolio, and it was a lot of what you were talking about, like piecing together, like, okay, you took this class, and how does that piece, you know, how does that fit into this other class, and like making those relationships. I think what was helpful to me, and maybe what would be helpful to students, and I'm not in FYE, so I don't, you know, <laughs> maybe you, you all already do this, but I feel like there's a couple of factors there, right? Like, a lot of that was in some ways guided, you know, like the reflection was in a way guided, like we were, because sometimes when you're reflecting, especially when you're first reflecting on things, like you don't really know what you're supposed to be reflecting <laughs> on, which is why it can you can kind of sit there and be like, I don't know, I just kind of learned this thing, you know, like, but when you like my e-portfolio very much started with almost like a mission, like a personal mission statement of like, like who do I want to be and how does being here, 
how is being here going to get me closer to that goal? And so then it was every course, you know, reflected back to that goal, then also connected previous courses, you know, or, or subsequent courses, I mean. And then I will say, though, on top of that, though, if you want that good reflection, there has to sometimes be good assignments to mm-hmm. reflect on. Yes. Right. <laughs> so like if you're taking a class and, you know, it's just a bunch of multiple choice tests and no real dialogue and no real like meaningful projects where maybe you can pick your own topic within, you know, a, sco- a certain scope or a certain subject, then then you don't it's going to be hard, harder to reflect on a class like that than a, a class that has more meaningful. It, totally. And I, I'm sure we will encounter that because what we are really um, gearing this portfolio as the general education portfolio. So we have a general education program, as do most universities. And our new mandate is that every general education course that a student takes they will have an artifact to upload into their portfolio. And there's even a little bit of stipulation involved in that as well. That particular artifact should meet the student learning outcome. Uh, so whatever the, the, the general education SLO for that particular course, the artifact is supposed to be aligned with that SLO. You know, when I was first conceiving of this, I was just like, students should be able to choose whatever they want. They should choose what they are proud of. Right. However, we have to like uh, meet I mean, some of the needs of the university as well. That's in the literature, though, mm-hmm. around the good use of portfolios. Oh, I know. Student yeah. ownership uh-huh. has yeah. to be part of mm-hmm. that. So that's, that's going to be an interesting challenge here as this rollout, because Yannick and I are on a group that's going to look at how we can, what's the right term for it, like improve the way we disseminate the information and teach around this subject. So that's going to be, I think, a challenge for us to consider. I think it is. So there's a term for this that I found in the literature during the research for this, this idea of the learning landscape as a conceptual framework for thinking about e-portfolios and how they're used and how they help students think about all the different pieces that they're going to try to pull on and draw on and connect and bring together in that connection that you're talking about. So the learning landscape, it's a the term we can think about. I love it. Let's, uh, yeah, let's uh, skip the, the buckets and the box checking and talk about the learning landscape. Um, so yeah, in this ideal world, students will be choosing meaningful courses and really constructing something that is tailored to them. And I think that is that goes back to this whole idea of agency and uh, and thinking about the quote requirements of college not as as just another thing that you're checking off on the way to getting the diploma as the end goal, but thinking of college as its experience of becoming a learner. So do you have any advice for faculty on how to incorporate the general ed portfolio into their individual courses? I do, and a lot of it is untested advice really at this <laughs> point. I think one of our most important steps in this process is creating a cultural shift among our faculty as well. I've already you know, mentioned that for students this will be a big cultural shift in thinking about their university career as this networked pathway rather than a bunch of boxes to check off. I think some of that mentality is also true for faculty members that they need to think of their own courses as fitting into this bigger network 
and to do some of that facilitating of the metacognition. I think we have to, you know, first and foremost, cre- create that buy-in so that when a professor teaching a general education course, they are creating an assignment that meaningfully addresses uh, the whatever the per- pertinent uh, student learning outcomes are that re- as they relate to general education, and that they are, again, I mean, we know the power of, of repetition here. They need to hear it from not just their first-year experience instructors, but then they need to hear it again from those general education course instructors. This is why this is important. Um, you will benefit through the from the act of uh, gathering, collecting, synthesizing these artifacts, and then ultimately reflecting on them. And this is a part of your growth as a college student, your growth as a learner. What's one resource or teaching tip, Yannickin, that you'd like to share with everybody? I'm going with the teaching tip, and it's it's not even a really a teaching tip. It's creating boundaries for yourself as an instructor that allow you to maintain some work-life balance is really vital. <laughs> I don't always do this good job, and sometimes this stuff is aspirational for me as well, but I've been really intentional this semester about Fridays, um, turning off my email, and really minimizing any required meetings on Fridays. Uh, I'm sure you all have seen me at meetings on Fridays, so we know it's not that successful. But um, making sure that you're maintaining some some boundaries for yourself. I needed to do that. I had a major writing deadline uh, that was in right before Thanksgiving, and there was no way I was going to meet it if I did not like set some clear boundaries for myself as to what I was willing to commit to. Um, I'm also really try to be intentional about um, it's not that I don't work on the weekends about what kind of work I do on the weekends, how much I work on the weekends, uh, really creating some parameters for myself. I mean, one of the nature of higher education is we're kind of always on the clock, but I don't think it has to be that way. And I think putting putting some lines in place will make you. Keep your sanity at this point in the semester. Well, you can't pour from, the, from an empty cup. Madison or Amber, would you like me to go? Or you guys, I'll, I'll go next because mine I, actually okay. surprisingly kind of lines up with yours. It was uh, not to grade everything. Just because like setting boundaries for yourself, kind of like you said, if you you know assign 100 things and then you have to grade them all, you're like, oh, God, how am I going to get all this done? Um, so maybe instead using strategies like writing workshops or think pair shares um, as formative assessments to have students check in with each other and take some of that burden off of you as a professor. Yeah, Or even just having the grace of this is the 10th writing assignment yeah. I've graded nine. Maybe I can let this one yeah. go. So for me, it's just a real quick one. If you're having a discussion in a class, physical class, and a student is speaking, actually backing away from them as they're speaking helps to open up the invitation to the whole class. It's kind of a technique. It's And it's not intuitive, but I've been trying to do that a little bit. Whereas students speaking, I'm trying to move away from them to be more inviting of the whole class into that that person. So That's important, body language. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like, and you're right, that's it's sort of reverse of what... What you think, right? <laughs> yeah. I actually had a professor who, philosophy professor, but very into like body language and um, 
like the way people are, like the organization of a room. And he was, he would always, we would always sit in a circle. Like we would move the desk and make a circle because similarly, like if you're not facing each other, it can be harder to have that conversation. But if everybody's facing it, then it feels more like a round table, just like we have those round table discussions. If it opens that space for discussion and for reading body language and facial expressions and things like that. So if you have a class that's small enough and a room that is, you know, movable enough, <laughs> that would be another way to help facilitate that. Okay, Madison, let's summarize this conversation with Dr. Smucker today. Sounds good. So at Westchester University, students are first introduced to and create an e-portfolio using Google Sites during their first year experience course. Then students upload artifacts to their portfolio from each general education course they take during their time at the university. Finally, in the required capstone course for their major, students create a reflective piece that looks back across those artifacts and attempts to make meaning of their educational journey so far. As the university continues to roll out the e-portfolios across the curriculum, Yannickin indicated that a key challenge is going to be answering the question, what is a portfolio good for? As Yannickin said, they're not just eating your vegetables, but eating a grand meal. And so Dr. Smucker would love to see a cultural shift among students from consuming uh, internet content to producing digital content, uh, particularly as part of their portfolio use here at Westchester. She really wants students to take ownership over their portfolios and to make it their own so they can use it beyond their time here at Westchester. Yannickin highlighted the importance of helping students recognize the value of reflection that comes along with using a portfolio. She discussed how reflection helps students understand how the component parts of their education contribute to who they become as a learner. Reflection for the portfolio helps students look at their learning landscape. Yannickin, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. This has been great. It's super helpful to talk to you all about um, this stuff as well. I'm sure we'll continue the conversations. It's amazing how many times people are like, it's so helpful to talk to an instructional designer. (laughs) What? (laughs) And thank you, listener, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. If you have any interest in being a future guest or if you have any suggestions for a future topic, you know we're always open. Uh, Please feel free to email us at distanced at wcupa.edu. Stay odd. (laughs) 